to the One Fish Foundation Fish Tales Podcast. I'm Carlos Stoll, president of One Fish Foundation, a sustainable seafood education nonprofit based in Maine. These podcasts feature powerful stories from fish harvesters, fishmongers, chefs, scientists, educators, advocates, and others in the seafood supply chain. Our first series of conversations comes from Bristol Bay, Alaska, where I interviewed a broad range of personalities with rich, disparate backgrounds. All of them share one common passion, their connection to the resource and staunch opposition to the proposed pebble mine at the headwaters of the world's largest wild salmon run. Today's podcast features my interview with Norm Van Vactor, President and CEO of Bristol Bay Economic Development Corporation, a fisherman, boat captain, and eventually manager at a processor in Naknek. He discusses the life decisions that brought him to the forefront of the effort to protect Bristol Bay. I spoke to him in his office in Dillingham last July. Where are you from and how did you end up in <laughs> Dillingham? Well, I was actually born and raised overseas. My, my parents were educators in the southern Philippines. They had stayed in touch with a, with a dear friend of theirs. Um, this was obviously pre-email days, but through correspondence. And their friend happened to be an individual who was involved in setting up the University of Alaska's remote extension program. And so she communicated with my parents and said, you know, at some point when Norman graduates from high school and comes back to the States, assuming he comes back to the States for college, Alaska is a great, a great place to come to in the summertime to, to make some money to help pay for school. And I would welcome him to come out to Briscoe Bay, and, I'll, and I'm sure there's a cannery job at some cannery that, that, that he can get. So by God, um, literally the day after high school graduation in 1975, in May of 1975, I uh, departed the Philippines and flew of all places directly to Dillingham, Alaska fully expecting to go down the next day and apply for a job at the local cannery here. But uh, within 15 or 20 minutes of my arrival, I met a couple of young guys, and they told me that I really didn't want to get a cannery job, that I should try to get a fishing job or a job on a boat. And so within two hours, I had landed a job as not a fishing job directly, but a job as a deckhand on a tender. And that was kind of the start of my engagement in the region and in the commercial fishing industry. Um, it turned out to be a great summer job. I worked my way up through the ranks in the tender fleet, and by the time I graduated from college a couple years later, I was the captain of a, of a local tender. So yeah, so that was, that was the start of it. I went to school in Minnesota, went to college back in Minnesota. When graduation was looming, I had some traditional job prospects that were out there. I had an offer from State Farm Insurance to be a personnel supervisor. I had a job offer from Deluxe Check Printers to be a regional sales manager. But by God, I also had a job offer to not only, if I wanted to, return to my tender captaining position, but also a offer to join a large Alaskan seafood company as an entry-level management trainee. And by that time, the Alaska hook, so to speak, had been set. <laughs> and I was hook, line, and sinker um, all about Alaska. And I accepted the job with the seafood company and started. And from there, I spent the next 27 years with, with this one seafood company, working my way up to their actually their Bristol Bay manager of their mm -hmm. operations. 
What seafood company was Peter, it? Peter Pan Seafoods. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we had a, a cannery operation, cannery and fresh frozen operation here in Dillingham, and we also operated at the time two floating processors, the Stellar Sea and the Blue Wave, and then we also had a fish buying facility with about 100 fishermen, well, two operations actually over in Naknik, Naknik and South Naknik. Mm -hmm. um, today there's, there's just one remaining. How did you end up with this job? Through the years, when I joined Peter Pan, they were the sixth largest Bristol-based seafood buyer. And by the time I left Peter Pan Seafoods in 2006, we were the largest buyer in Bristol Bay. The growth of my production operation can be directly attributed to the expansion of our resident Alaskan fishing fleet, something that I became quite proud of. And we had the largest Alaskan fishing fleet. And more importantly to me, we had the largest participation of Bristol Bay residents of any fishing company in Alaska. As a result of that, I came to know an awful lot of people, local folks, not just in Dillingham, but in a lot of the villages and communities that make up the Bristol Bay watershed. So when the time came that their, my predecessor was, was looking at leaving, they commenced a search, and uh, I was identified as somebody that knew Bristol Bay, knew the fishing industry, I'd like to think had local interests at heart. And so they reached out to me and and I was at a point in time in my professional career in the seafood industry that I was ready for a change. Um, I had, in the process of all of this, in the last five or six years that I was with Peter Pan Seafoods, had become heavily involved on the pebble mine issue. And I knew what BBEDC's position was and I thought to myself, there was no better place to continue to advocate for my concerns than, than right here. Here I am six years later, and I've just re-upped for another five years. People ask me what my job is. We're actually, and BBC is a nonprofit, but half of my job is working with five large seafood companies that BBDC is, is approximately 50% owners of. Mm -hmm. So half my job is working with seafood companies that make us money. These are all companies that in one way, shape, form, or another are directly involved in the Bering Sea fishery. We're involved in salmon, halibut, cod, pollock, crab. Mm -hmm. we, our portfolio is very, very diversified. So that's half my job. So ironically, after the better part of 27 years of living in the Pacific Northwest and commuting to Alaska for work, now I get to live in Dillingham and Bristol Bay but a big part of my time is actually spent also commuting to Seattle for work yep. because these five seafood companies that we own are all based in the Pacific Northwest. So you might say that that's half my job. And then the other half of my job is working with the 17 core communities as well as other communities in Bristol Bay, mm -hmm. trying to figure out and develop um, the best way to spend the revenue stream that we're generating in the seafood industry to promote economic development mm -hmm. and sustainable economy in our communities up here. How much of your time and your staff's time is tied up in dealing with Pebble? Oh boy, it it, it goes in pulses and surges, mm -hmm. probably 10 or 15 percent. If you were to say, Norm Van Vactor, how about the last three weeks, it's probably darn near 90 percent. Yeah. I've been on this issue since 2001 and 
it was actually a major reason for my leaving Peter Pan Seafoods in 2006 because I was actually approached by senior management who asked me to tone down my rhetoric on the subject. I mean, for one, I was, was shocked that the CEO of our company would ask me to do that. Why? Well, that was the politics of the time. We had Governor Murkowski. We had the American Seafood Act being pushed through Congress. I think there was a lot of quid pro quo taking place at, at the highest of levels in terms of quota allocations and the like. And the governor was very pro-resource development, extractive resource development. And I think that one of the things that he asked some people was, you know, this Mr. Van Vactor is, you know, kind of a pain in the you-know-what. Is there anything we can do to kind of get him out of the news, so to speak? But when I was asked to do that, I was I thought about it for about 30 seconds. I spun around in my chair and I looked at my boss in the face and said, you know what, not only am I not toning down, but you just turned on my amplifier. Yeah. And uh, two weeks later I gave him 30 days notice. And I stayed in the, I stayed in the industry, I, I moved on from there and was general manager for Leader Creek Fisheries for, for five years. Yeah. And that was a very enjoyable place as well. But again, I, for a long, long time, for 26, 27 years, I, I, I bled Peter Pan blue. This resonated deeply it enough. It resonated to just so, so deeply with me that, turn that, page. that I had to turn that page. And I, I had to leave this tremendous team that I developed, and people that I cared and loved, um, in terms of we were like family. But I knew at the end of the day that I was leaving them in a good place and that as to the best of their individual abilities, they would continue advocating for the right policies that I had put in place. So, and that's been the case. What does it take out of you to just be bumping up against this stone wall for so long? It's extremely draining. But at the same time, I guess one of the things that's been so gratifying is how different interest groups, people that at one time wouldn't talk to each other, wouldn't work together, and I'm thinking specifically of many of the competing interests that we have. You know, you've got the sports fishing industry, you've got the commercial fishing industry, you have the recreational industry, you have probably the most important core group, the subsistence industry, um, the subsistence people of the indigenous people of this land. In the past, You'd go, for example, to a board of fish meeting, and these four different interest groups would be sitting in four parts of the room, and they were antagonistic, they didn't know each other, they wouldn't talk to each other. But all around this one concern, this one issue, the proposed Pebble Project, we've come together. And, I mean, that was the, one of the other things that my employer at the time was very critical of, is I was part of forming was called the Renewable Resource Coalition. We were the very first group that actually formed as an organization to oppose this project. And, and when I say oppose the project, really educate the people of the rest of the state about what this project was all about. There were four of us on the core initial board, and I was the comfish guy. I was the comfish leg of the Renewable Resource Coalition. And I can remember again my boss at the time going, 
what the hell are you doing working with these folks? You know, these are the very same people that are trying to shut us down and going to the EPA and getting the grinding requirements changed on our discharge requirements for some of our offall shore-based plants and our boats. You know, these are these are people that you know are not our friends. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, they're becoming our friends. That is um, a pretty compelling irony of this, that this one unifying adversity has brought together a collective that might not necessarily have come together on they its own. I'm absolutely convinced that they never would have come together, not in my lifetime. Yeah. And it's already bearing some significant value and fruit in, in other areas. Um, it's a group of passionate individuals that uh, do things in behalf of the organizations that they might work for. But more importantly, you're doing it because they personally, strongly believe in the issue. And the other thing that to me, you know, I mean, there were, while I was aware of the issue and certainly privately expressed concerns, in those early years, I didn't go public with a lot of my thoughts because I really felt it was for the people of this region to decide what they wanted for their for their own destiny. I mean, who was I, a young college kid from the Midwest slash the Philippines, who was a, a recent transplant, who was I to tell somebody in the village of Kaliganik what they should do or not do? Again, you know, if you look at statistically the unemployment rate and the average household income rates, you would you would take away initially, I think, the perspective that these were people that needed jobs that were impoverished in some cases. But what's been extremely and what was extremely gratifying was that when Northern Dynasty at the time, the predecessor to the Pebble Partnership, came to a lot of these community leaders and literally brought checks for donations and mm -hmm. landing right fees mm -hmm. at airports and the like, the communities almost to a person would stand up and say, we don't need this. Mm -hmm. We are actually a very rich people because of what we have. Mm -hmm. We can subsist off the land and that's irreplaceable. We might not be rich in terms of what our savings account reflect you know, at the local Wells Fargo Bank, but we are rich people. And when you hear that from yeah. folks that are born and raised here, yeah, I mean, that's what gave me voice. Yeah. And still, today. Yeah. <laughs> 18 years later. No kidding. What's your gut tell you? My gut is that we're going to prevail. Um, it might be my grandkids that prevail, but uh, this is such a special place. This is such a special place that it's inconceivable to me that we would really let somebody come in and screw this thing up. You know, back to the Renewable Resource Coalition, our first major donors were Betty and Gordon Moore, founders of Intel Corporation. 
At the time, they were just getting engaged in salmon habitat restoration. Some of their early projects were actually in Russia. But they went in and were going into areas that had lost their fisheries. And again, it was all about restoring what had been. Mm -hmm. And even then, in their most successful efforts, you know, it was, it was minuscule compared to what had been lost. They were not about, at the end of the day, political advocacy. That wasn't part of their charter, if you will. But we went to them and said, you know, we desperately need your help. We don't need your help to restore our fishery. We need your help protecting our fishery. <laughs> and by doing so, we're preserving this amazing wonders of the world in terms of our natural resource production. They were wonderful contributors and donors to the cause. Mm -hmm. But even with them, it was a David and Goliath, and has been a David and Goliath um, struggle. Mm -hmm. Because while the Moore Foundation would put in a couple million dollars, sometimes a year, yeah. in advocacy and public education, we were working against a series of multinational sure. gold companies, gold mining companies, yep. mineral extraction companies that came in and put in, over time, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. One of our early regrets, Northern Dynasty paid just a little over $10 million, I believe, to Cominco Mining Company for the claim. And most of us at the time thought, well, that's $10 million, not very well spent. Mm. Well, I sure wish that uh, yeah, right. some of us had thought a little bit differently, right, and maybe raised that $10 million to actually buy that claim and take it off, put it on the shelf somewhere. What message would you convey to those in the lower 48 who have maybe have heard something about this but don't really know Seeing is believing, and to come up here right now, and, and you're here during a very special time of the year, and the next couple of days are going to be even more amazing, but to literally see these silver waves of fish coming up multiple river systems, um, stretching from the community of Port Hyden all the way to Togiak, so probably close to 500 miles of shoreline. Of, of this renewable resource. You know, last year over 60 million fish mm -hmm. returned. And it's all because of the pristine habitat and fresh water. And the fact that the management of the commercial fisheries and the support fishing industry has been solid and if anything has aired on conservation. And that the people that live here will forfeit profitability to ensure that those runs continue. Yes, a very, very small fraction of these fish feed the people of this region, but we like to think we feed the world, and it's one of the single greatest sources of protein production of any place on earth. And if managed properly, as this is probably one of the best managed fisheries in the world, there's no it's reason, a renewable it's a renewable resource. and it's, 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 there's no reason to think that it won't be here for forever. Our guest has been Norm Van Vactor, President and CEO of Bristol Bay Economic Development Corporation. He's one of the powerful voices speaking out against the proposed pebble mine. 
I'd like to thank Norm for taking time out of a busy schedule, as you could probably tell by all of the messages that came in during the interview. And I'd like to thank him for all of his hard work opposing the mine. Stay tuned for the next One Fish Foundation Fishtails podcast featuring my video interview with Steve Curian, captain of the FV Ava Jane, a drift net boat that fishes out of Naknek. He and his wife, Jen, co-own Wild for Salmon, a retail and wholesale business that brings wild Pacific salmon to people and businesses throughout the Northeast and beyond. This has been a production of One Fish Foundation. Thanks for joining the Fish Tales podcast. I'm Carlos Stoll. Talk to you soon. 